Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints right here in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. Our guest on this episode is Matt Osborne. Matt is a Dallas native, a husband, father of two teenage daughters, and a convert to The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He formerly worked as a CIA agent and is currently Director of Special Projects for Operation Underground Railroad, a nonprofit organization that exists to rescue children from sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. In part one of our visit with Matt, he shared his background and the circumstances that led to his conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now in part two, Matt talks about his career as a CIA agent and his ongoing efforts to rescue victims of sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Well, let's talk a little bit about your career. You know, when most of us hear CIA, we we think of the spy novels and <laughs> movies that we've read or watched, and and yet this is something you set out to do and have had a career in doing that. Tell us a little bit about what that was like for you and, and what you did, at least what you're able to tell us. Well, first, I have to disappoint your listeners to say that I'm not that cool. I'm not as cool as Jason Bourne. I'm not as cool as Liam Neeson, anyone like that. But I've been very blessed. I had started out as an analyst. And so I was in the early 2000s. And this was in the run up to the Iraq war. So 2002, 2003. So I was actually involved in uh, force protection in with the fall of Saddam Hussein, and then trying to help protect our troops when there was an insurgency and help with political reconstruction in Iraq. And there were some successes, but a lot of failures as those who know read in history. But that gave me uh, an understanding of the strengths of intelligence, but also the limits of intelligence. And I enjoyed working at CIA headquarters in Langley, but I knew that I wanted to go overseas. And so I didn't want to go to the Middle East where I couldn't take my family. Uh, I had a, uh, my wife, obviously, and then we had a, a daughter. And then we were going to have another daughter then in a, in a year or so. But I wanted to go overseas. So I started looking at positions. And I was fortunate to uh, get a position that had some ties with the U.S. Department of State. So it was diplomacy and intelligence over in Madrid, Spain. And so what was cool about that is it was a wonderful place to live. Madrid and great food and travel opportunities and learning Spanish. But yet the accounts that we worked, the, 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 the topics, terrorism was a huge thing. Spain at that time, 2006, 7, 8, was the hub of Islamist extremist terrorism in Europe. So there was a lot of, of, of planning and launching of terrorist attacks from Spain. Then working against the drug cartels and drug trafficking, Spain was the European entry point of cocaine coming from Colombia and hash coming up from West Africa. And so that was a huge uh, part of the job. And then there was this thing in 2006, I started working called human trafficking, and I had no idea what it was back then, but it came to be something that obviously I've now dedicated my life to, to helping to fight. But that was really interesting, uh, serving for two years in Spain. And then I was uh, transferred briefly to Venezuela, so some who followed political events with the government of Hugo Chavez, who was very anti-American, very um, a destabilizing force. So we worked a little bit to see how we could work with the opposition, how we could, how institutions were doing there, uh, what the chances were of Chavez being forced out of office. Obviously, he would succumb to cancer a few years later, and unfortunately for the Venezuelan people, who are wonderful people, that countries continued to, to go downhill. 
And then finally, my last overseas tour was in Mexico City for three years. And that was working with a trusted Mexican government officials to fight the drug war, to strengthen institutions. There was a presidential election one of the years I was there. So trying to find out, uh, is Mexico, the new president, going to be pro-American, anti-American? And so that was, uh, again, obviously my conversion story. Then the conversion happened in Mexico City in the year 2013. And then it's really interesting, isn't it, how life works? And I'm sure many in your audience can think of their own lives of, how we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but when we look backwards, yesterday, last week, month, year, we can see, okay, that's why Heavenly Father was moving me in different positions. And so I see that that was where you had the confluence of my conversion with my decision to leave the U.S. government and join Operation Underground Railroad to now fight human trafficking because I had had a number of years of experience with that and said, you know what? This is what I think God is leading me to. And so I left in 2014 and then joined Operation Underground Railroad. And that clearly then was related to the relationship you'd established with Tim Ballard many years before. Isn't that incredible, right? 2000, from 2000, 2002, Tim and I were graduate students. He started at the CIA and then later worked for U.S. Customs, working on the border between California and Mexico. He was fighting criminals, drug traffickers, looking for terrorists coming over the border. Well, then they asked him to start up a child crimes unit where he would have to go after some of the worst of humanity. And we'll just speak in general terms. I'm not sure the ages of some of your listeners, but think about some of these pedophiles, these predators who would do horrible things to children. And they asked Tim, they said, Tim, we know you're a man of faith. We know you're a man of God. You have the spiritual background that will let you do this. But he said, no, I can't do this. He talked to his wife, who's another faithful Latter-day Saint. She said, we can't bring this darkness into our into our home. Well, they uh, prayed and fasted, and God made it known to them pretty clearly that, yes, you need to do this. It's because you have children. It's because you can be the light. So he worked for a number of years um, and, and put away some very bad Americans who were doing bad things and saved some American kids. And But he was hamstrung by bureaucracy, by jurisdictional restraints, where he could only work a case if that had a U.S. nexus, was a bad guy American, was a kid American, you know, would, would this case wind up in a U.S. court of law? And if the answer was no, then he couldn't work it. But yet he saw that this left out of his jurisdiction the vast majority of kids. And so he has a very incredible story where, again, praying and fasting, he felt, again, he, I don't think he heard voices, but he felt God saying, go after the lost children. And to him, that meant start up a private organization that exists on donations that then partners with the U.S. government and governments overseas to provide funding, training, tools, technology, and oversees the undercover operators because this crime is being perpetrated by Americans. And your audience may not know, and it's very sad, but the United States is the number one producer and consumer of child pornography. And so that has led to a whole bunch of problems of men mostly going overseas where they think the laws are such where they won't get caught going overseas to abuse children. So Tim started in 2014 this group Operation Underground Railroad or OUR, obviously tipping our hat to the brave men and women involved in the original Underground Railroad, helping slaves move from the South to the North into freedom, and that we were now going to launch operations to rescue modern-day slaves. 
And so that was his proposal, and he had told me a little bit about it, and I was keeping him in the loop on my, on my baptism, and he actually came down and gave the talk on the Holy Ghost at my baptism in Mexico City, so that was pretty neat. And then that night, we went and started having some meetings about Operation Underground Railroad, and um, I said, wait a second, Tim. Uncle Sam pays me faithfully twice a month. Uh, I've got government health care till I die if I stick it out. I have a pension waiting for me in just a few years. And you want me to give all that up and join an organization where I only get paid if the donations come in each month? Hmm. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking. And so hmm. I asked my father, hey, dad, what do you think? He said, are you kidding? You're crazy. Don't do it. You realize how few companies give pensions these days? You could be set for right. life. If you stick it out with the government. And then I said, honey, what do you think? And my wife says, uh, well, I, I trust you. I, if you think this is what you should do, but this is what I knew. And again, doing it and joining. So I joined him in 2014 in August to lead his undercover rescue operations overseas. And it's just been, the, again, the second greatest decision I've made after the decision huh. to join the church. You talk about how widespread this is. And when when you're talking about human trafficking at kind of a generic level, we're really talking about, you, you mentioned the child pornography, but mm -hmm. it's just this whole sex slave trade sort of thing that's yeah. going on around the world. Am I understanding that correctly? And isn't it crazy to think in the year 2020 that there probably are more slaves today than at any time in human history? And I know that's a huge statement, but the best numbers we have are from the transatlantic slave database out of California, where they tracked to the best they could the number of slaves that left the African continent in the early 1500s and the slave ships that brought slaves over to the New World until the late 1880s, the Emancipation Proclamation. Their best numbers were about 12.5 million slaves, which is a horrible number, as even mm -hmm. one is too many. Populations were smaller back then. But it's estimated, Department of State, United Nations, International Labor Organization, there may be upwards of 30 to 40 million slaves today, mostly wow. in forced labor, forced you know, indentured servitude, but a very large subset that are in commercial sexual exploitation, forced prostitution. And UNICEF estimates there may be between two and five million children under the age of 18 being forced into slavery, commercial sex slavery right now. It's, it's horrible. Mm. And so with Operation Underground Railroad, you're working in conjunction with the U.S. government through, in, is it intelligence they gather, intelligence that, uh, that you guys are in the process of gathering to understand where this is going on and how you can get to the people that are perpetrating it? It's a little bit of everything. So in the United States, we do not play the role of the undercover operators. Uh, laws are different. They have more a higher skill level of law enforcement. Men and women on the front lines, Department of Homeland Security, FBI, state authorities, local authorities, police, sheriffs, they are doing uh, what they can with their resources to fight human trafficking. So we work behind the scenes to provide, as I mentioned, funding, training, tools, technology. We're not a vigilante group. We go and talk to governments ahead of time. We offer the support they need. Well, overseas, where laws are different, we work with host governments, sometimes the U.S. embassies, and we, again, provide some of the, the tools, but we also are signed up as confidential sources of information where we can go. And so, Eric, you know, guys who look like you and me and the man, the American man in, in this audience, 
it's our faces. And when we go to beach towns, and I'm sure some of your listeners remember when you were what, to pick your place where you went to visit, how many of you were offered everything from a jet ski and kayak ride to drugs, to drinks, to girls? I mean, this type of thing. Hey, anything you want. So we play on that where we go into the tourist areas and we don't entrap anybody. We don't provoke anything. We just sit there and kind of act like we're tourists. And within minutes, we're offered, again, everything from a little shell necklace to a trinket to, hey, what do you want? You want some drugs? And we listen. And then when then this conversation turns to, hey, you want you want girls? We say, well, it depends. What do you have? And they offer it. And they themselves, the middlemen, the guys working the beach, they may not be the traffickers, but they have the contacts. And so they make a couple phone calls. And within 30 minutes or an hour, we're talking to human traffickers who are bartering the lives and the freedom of, of human beings as if they're talking about a sack of potatoes or a bag of limes. Mm -hmm. And we stay in character that, oh, we're the middleman. You know, we're not interested in that kind of illicit stuff, but we work for some guys in the States and they're going to come over in a few days and they want to have a party. So what can you do? And we arrange it. Well, we record the information and give it to authorities, again, either at the U.S. Embassy, if there's a U.S. tie, or to foreign governments, and they can decide, do they have enough information to work the case themselves, or maybe they need us because, again, we're Americans, so we can infiltrate the rings, there's no suspicion there, so then we set up a party or an event, they bring the kids, and then that's when the police come in, they arrest the bad guys, the Child Protective Services equivalent comes in to help the kids get back to their parents or into safe houses. And then our team are arrested as well. Because, I mean, you can imagine, Eric, right? We have to keep up the ruse. We have to keep up the story. So my two sure. teenage daughters think it's hilarious that their old man may have been arrested nine times in five different countries around <laughs> the world. So they, I said, well, just don't tell anybody that. They'll get the wrong, wrong opinion. <laughs> but that's just part of the undercover operation. And, yes. and uh, you get released once it kind of settles, I assume. It is, yes. Fortunately, I've never had anyone put the handcuffs on where they haven't taken it off, but we're always ready. And something neat for this year with the Lone Star LDS Voices is, is we – Again, are mostly an LDS group. We have set we're not we you know we're nonpartisan, non-denominational, but just the way it works out, we have several members of other faiths. Uh, we also have some who profess to be atheists, but who say, "Look, I know there's there's good and evil." But we always pray. We pray before we go on an operation. We pray for guidance, and we have aborted missions before when the spirit wasn't there because there's just something doesn't feel right. And it killed us to have to give up the chance to save these kids. But later we realized, oh, that's why, because the bad guy was actually working with the police and vice versa. Or that's why we needed to not save, save them that day so we could come back a month later and save even more. And so even in the darkest times when we're sitting across the table from the worst of humanity, we're also feeling the best of humanity. Those law enforcement who are doing the right things overseas, those fellow, my fellow priesthood holders who are playing the role of these uh, middlemen, you know, wearing temple garments, praying and just feeling the spirit. And so again, it really is in some of the darkest moments is when I've really felt some of the, 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 the most times of light and of support from the Holy spirit and heavenly father, because Again, I think we all know that in this fight, God is not neutral. And you look at how in three of the four Gospels in the New Testament, it's recorded where Christ essentially says it would be better for him that a millstone be put around his neck and he be cast into the deepest ocean, I'm paraphrasing, than for uh, him to cause one of his children to sin. And we believe that if we are humble and righteous and do the best we can, then God will protect us and we'll take calculated risks 
but we won't take dumb risks. And knock on wood, so far we've been very successful and have been able to rescue a lot of kids from human trafficking. Well, it does sound dangerous. In some respects, yes, but we really do try to bend the odds in our favor as much as possible in terms of only working with units overseas that have been vetted by the U.S. Embassy, um, having large numbers of our guys ready for these different events, telling the bad guys that, hey, when you come to the party, you're not going to be able to bring a weapon in at all. If we see a gun or a knife on you, we're going to pat you down and search you. If we see any weapon, then the deal's off. You're not even going to get a penny. Um, we usually, we make sure we are in charge and control the setting. So again, we try to do all we can, but we realize there's a little bit of risk. And so again, that's why we're always praying and looking for guidance. And I think that most everyone on our team realizes that if God forbid something were to happen to us, we could look our maker in the eye afterwards and said, we did our best to try to rescue thy precious children. What is that like at the end of a successful sting where you've successfully liberated some of these children? How does that feel? What do they say to you? So at first, it's a, a mixed feelings because, again, you can imagine, as I mentioned, our team gets arrested as well. Yeah. So we're down handcuffed with the bad guys while the kids are being escorted out. Uh, some of them, again, most of them look at us as the bad guys. Oh, thank God, goodness, you weren't going to, you didn't abuse me. We, you know, you, I've seen guys like you before, right? And they've done terrible things to me. I assume that's what you were. You know, that's what they're thinking. So I've been laughed at. I've been stepped on. I've been kicked. I've been spit on as they walk out. But I just in my mind kind of think, you know what, that's a small price to pay for you to be free now, for you to be able to go back to your parents or if you can't, to go into a vetted safe house. And so even though that's hard right then, it's again, the, a small price to pay. But what we've been able to do in recent months and years as our aftercare program has built up is some of us have been able to go back and visit with these girls, obviously always with their parents or with a, a, a social worker there. And we talk to them because we want to ask them, hey, what do you want to do with your life? We have donors at Operation Underground Railroad who are able to provide funds to allow us to support these kids. And many of the kids say, well, I want to go to college or I want to finish high school. Those who are older, if we rescue adults, 18, 19, 20 years old, we say, what career do you want to do? And and what do you want to be? This is the time to dream big. And we've had people, you know, run the gamut from having their own little uh, stall on a street to being doctors and lawyers and social workers. And it's just really neat to be able to see some have become anti-trafficking activists. And, and, um, and, and, you know, the numbers are huge. And so that's why a lot of people say, well, it's just a drop in the ocean. You can't make a difference. But we really use the parable of the starfish as our motto. Well, let's make a difference to that starfish, okay? Then let's make a difference to that one as we throw them back into the ocean. And that's, I think, what you can, you can't, you can do. Right? You can't do everything, but you can do something. And that's really the Operation Underground Railroad motto. Oh, that's wonderful. What a difference it makes. And in the years you've been doing this, how many have you been able to free? So we as an organization have been able to help over 4,000 uh, victims of trafficking. Now, not in all of them in direct operations. We've had oftentimes, you know, we've provided uh, a tools to be able to uh, have a child be rescued. Or uh, some of your listeners have heard of bomb sniffing dogs and drug sniffing dogs. Well, our donors have helped us pay for dogs that can sniff out electronic storage devices, SD cards, USBs, hard drives with some of these child pornographers keep their things and their material on there. So these dogs have helped. And so we tally some of those 
um, those rescues. But I have been fortunate to lead 17 rescue operations, just did one in Haiti last week that was a 17th, and have been able to uh, be involved in the rescue of 73 victims of trafficking and in the arrest of about 19 traffickers. So you can imagine the different people on our team have their different stats. But again, what's so neat is to be with individuals as we just were with some survivors last week uh, in Venezuela. Uh, we were able to get some girls from Venezuela back to uh, to the United States for a one year to learn English, learn job training. And these women were so grateful. They said, you know, we were rotting away essentially in an illegal brothel in Haiti. We didn't speak the language. We didn't look the part. We would pray every night that God would send angels to rescue us. Now, none of us look at ourselves as angels, but what an amazing that God led us to this place. No one was looking for these girls. And now these 10 girls, nine of whom are mothers, they have 15 kids between them. They now have a chance to be reunited with their kids and to use Operation Underground Railroad funds and training to make something of their lives. And so even if these 10 were all I did my whole life, I would just be so grateful for this. But fortunately, and thanks to our donors, we're able to do more. You know, almost every week we're having rescues in different parts of the world. And it's just been so gratifying. What a difference that makes in those individual lives, but also as a whole. And that's yes. that's really outstanding. And especially when you think, too, just about, well, again, we have no idea what's going to come afterwards, right, in this life. And another thing I love about uh, the, the, mem- the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and our beliefs, where everyone's going to have a fair chance to hear the gospel. And so, obviously, it'd be great if these girls hear it right now. And even though, again, we're non-denominational, so we're not pushing Latter-day Saint belief or orthodoxy on them, we're just sort of letting them see how we act, and they know that we're Mormons, and they see that. But how neat, isn't it, Eric, that maybe someday, whether in this life or the next, they'll be able to say, hey, here is the fullness of the restored gospel. And I just think that's another great thing that we can try to do in terms of the gathering of Israel. Whether it happens now or beyond, it's still helping, I believe, to bring all to the truth. Oh, absolutely. Well, you, you'd mentioned earlier just the scope and the size of this human trafficking that's going on throughout the world. And I think most of us live uh, unaware of what's really going on out there. Are there things that we, the average humans, average Americans can do to be more aware, more vigilant, to recognize signs of human trafficking? Is there anything we can do just in our day-to-day lives? There absolutely is. And I think first, though, you have to have a healthy understanding of where trafficking mostly happens in the U.S., You know, I think the movie Taken with Liam Neeson, I think that did some good things in terms of entertainment, in terms of talking about the problem. But I think there's a risk of parents thinking, well, as long as I don't let my child go to Europe to follow you two in concert, then she'll be okay. Well, that's a very small percentage of of the trafficking cases, outright kind of kidnappings. It's more kids being groomed and lured by people they know or by people who are taking advantage of their vulnerabilities. So the vast majority of the trafficking victims in the United States come from broken homes, those who aren't getting the love that they need at home, and so they're susceptible to someone who's offering help, who can provide some money or some excitement or some entertainment. But I think for in your listening audience to just really have open conversations with your children in terms of social media. Be very careful on what information you put out on social media because these groomers, as they're called, are out there looking 
for online and getting little bits of information. So someone puts a little bit on Facebook, a little bit on Instagram, a little bit on Snapchat. They're looking across their accounts and all of a sudden they realize, okay, they play soccer on this club and they have practices on this day or they go to this mall or this movie theater. Just make sure your kids know who their friends are. Make sure that they don't accept friend requests from anyone they actually haven't seen in person or know physically exists because they would never be able to know if truly they're talking to a 17-year-old girl, an 18-year-old boy, or a 55-year-old man. It's unfortunately, that is that is the truth. Mm-hmm. And then just talk to kids about things. If things seem too good to be true, if a an offer, you're at a mall and someone gives you a card and says, hey, you could be a model. Why don't you give me a call? Why don't you come sit for some pictures. I'll pay you $100 an hour, whatever it is, just to be real careful, vet things. And then parents with younger kids, just again, don't. I would never say don't live your life. I would never say stay home in a fetal position all day and never go out, but just always have a healthy awareness. Keep your antenna out. Listen to, again, the gift of the Holy Ghost, because regardless of what faith you are, and if you call it a sixth sense, a hunch, a gut feeling, the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost, God has given us the gift of fear. And lift, listen to your body. If that hair stands up on the back of your neck, if something doesn't feel right, listen to it. Because if you're wrong, then you're just paranoid for no reason, no harm, no foul, you go on. But if you're right, then you're able to avoid a situation. If you see a situation where you think could be human trafficking, there are a couple things you can do. You can, of course, dial or text 911, but you can also contact the National Anti-Human Trafficking Hotline, which is a very easy number to remember, 888-3737-888. So 888-3737-888, and people want you to call. If you see something, say something, then you can invest, the authorities can investigate. And as I always say, if you're wrong, you know what? They'll investigate and they'll say it was nothing. But if you were right and you didn't say anything, then perhaps you missed a chance to save someone. So I don't know. I know that was kind of rambling, but I just think those are things that people can do. And then on, on social media, share, learn about it, research, share on, with your contacts that this is an issue of human trafficking. These are victims, not volunteers. This is trafficking, not prostitution. That, I think, will go a long way to really looking to try to affect the societal change that we're hoping for. Yeah. Wow. What a valuable piece of information for us to have and be aware of and and on the lookout. It's it's such a tragedy in our society today. And yet uh, how grateful we should all be for mm-hmm. folks like you and Operation Underground Railroad that are working to defeat that. What a what a valuable effort. Well, thank you very much. And again, thank you so much for giving this platform as well. And I just, uh, you know, again, for for anyone who's put up with my rambling here for almost an hour, just to see the the way that God works. And so many people ask, well, hey, Operation Underground Railroad, you know, how can we help? And of course, we direct them to our website, OURrescue.org. Say, hey, go to OURrescue.org, check out the different ways. But as Tim Ballard always says, you will know more than we will how you can help. Can you send up prayers? Can you donate? Can you organize events? Can you help us with contacts? Hey, I know the chief of police here. Or hey, I have a local, I know a local congressman or senator. Hey, there's something I can do. Everyone can do something because now no one person and no one group can truly end human trafficking, but all of us working together can make a huge difference. And so I'm just grateful for anyone who might wish to prayerfully consider how they can get involved and how they can help. We'd be very grateful for that. 
Well, Matt, thank you for your time to come on and discuss these important things with us. It's inspiring to hear your conversion story, and it's inspiring to hear the efforts that you're involved in here to release these victims and to help move things forward in a more positive way. So thank you so much for being with us, and we wish you the very best. Thank you, Eric, and thanks to all your listeners as well. This has been a real blessing to be on today. Our guest in this two-part episode has been Matt Osborne of Operation Underground Railroad. I have to say I'm impressed with his selfless approach to helping desperate victims of sex trafficking all over the world. The inspired efforts of Operation Underground Railroad remind me of the language in Isaiah 49:25. But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan.